to, if you think you have a case, do it. Go file it. There is mm-hmm. no place left in America. No voting booth, no protest crowd, no website or tweet. There is I no place yeah. where pound for pound, dollar for dollar, if you want to exercise your rights of American, if you've got a case and you've got evidence, you can go into a court of law and you can present that. You must leave the area immediately. If you refuse to leave the area, you will be arrested for North Carolina General Statute. Under North Carolina General Statutes. But the fact of the matter is, it is not okay what you are doing, and the people are not intimidated. If you have a good sheriff, however, they can stand in the gap. on the left have always understood that they would tell people think globally act locally we need to understand what the global agenda is but we need to act locally to counter it and we need to do it in a way that occupies peace we need to do it in a way that is going to make connections with each other locally so we see each other as human beings and not as the word of god teaches us in the book of psalms it says that if I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and be at rest. All right, all right. This is Podcast Slay Renaissance. This is part two of Eric Landon's story. Eric Landon last week came in and told us about how, while he's on probation for six years, he had gotten a false drug test during one part of that, and it extended his probation by a year, basically. So as a result, he had started to do his own drug test with his doctor separately from his PO and began to keep a record. And because of this record, he was able to build up a case and eventually reach a $535,000 verdict, which we're going to go over today. Uh, Last week, we got to the point where he got his case dismissed. They were trying to put him back in jail for seven years after six years of probation because of this false positive drug test. And he was able to get the case dismissed because they had to admit they did not have the evidence. So today we're going to go over what happened after he got that case dismissed and how we get to a verdict of $535,000 in his favor. Uh, It's quite the story. You know, it has happened over 17 years of his life. So, you know, it is an hour long altogether, but really it is quite the summary. Check it out. I'm done. I'm free. Goodbye, Mr. Landon. You're free to go. I called the civil attorney I had in mind for several years. I've been eyeballing attorneys in my area that might be the right kind of fighter for what I was looking to do. Mm -hmm. I called that gentleman literally from the parking lot between the courthouse and my car on that day, March 20th. Had an appointment Mm -hmm. set up for March 27th. Met with him, explained it had the case all lined up that I wanted to file. It was a federal civil rights case for malicious prosecution, and I had all the evidence to prove the four elements of malicious prosecution. First, that a case had been filed in bad faith, 
a case is filed, uh, sorry, is continued in bad faith past the point where it's known it should be dismissed, the case terminates in favor of the defendant without conviction, and that this was all done with willful knowledge and indifference to that individual's rights. The fourth element is the hardest one to prove. How do you prove state of mind information officer? Well, the way I did it is I recorded every syllable out of every probation officer's mouth I had for six years. And I, it wasn't just in the Ursuline Dixie. I was asking these people substantive questions about the testing they used, the lab reports, the contract and the terms of that contract. Do you understand, Ms. Probation Officer, what you're obligated to produce here if you intend to prosecute somebody upon it. And they all gave the kind of, well, hey, hey, we just go with the lab. We just trust the lab. And that served very well in a civil lawsuit against the lab later. But I was far more interested in proving the corruption inside the probation right. system. So my attorneys were representing me. I, my life fell apart in Albany. I was, you know, I was engaged to be married on the day this all happened. I was set to marry just 18 or 19 days later. That never came to pass. Our relationship fell apart. I was constantly on the phone and on the computer and at the law library and talking to lawyers, and I basically vanished from my family. I went into a hole, had a man cave room that became my legal war room. And, you know, hey, is Eric? going to eat dinner with us tonight, you know, oh, is, is, you know, why is Eric up at 4 o'clock in the morning, that kind of stuff. So that ended, and Albany was her town, not mine, so I had to leave. And I, I just didn't want to be there, because I'd make up, break up, make up, break up, and how long before somebody calls the cops when we're screaming at each other, and, you know, what are those cops going to do when they get there and realize, oh, this guy's a felon, just got off probation, we'll take him. So I was scared. I got the hell out of there. And I had two choices, go back home to New York City and go back to my old job in the funeral business, which was waiting for me. It was, in, you know, it was, a, it was an appealing invite, but I didn't want to be near these cops, these probation officers. It's very insular, the police business. You find that, you know, a city cop in Middletown is related to a county sheriff in Orange is related to a state trooper in Rockland. And if I was driving up and down the highways, you know, removing bodies, doing cremations, all that stuff, the funeral director, how long would it be before I got pulled over and, oh, he's got a bag of dope. Oh, he's got a gun. Oh, he tried to take my gun. So take us to the point where you get, you get a $535,000 settlement in your favor. Well, I went to Erie, Pennsylvania, waited for my attorneys to do their job and for them to call me, hey, it's time for trial, come on down. So this is years, now, a year half, later, so I'd say. Four and a half. Well, it, wow. it, ultimately, it took me 12 years to get to trial. The case, the original federal case was filed in June of 08. My attorneys abandoned it the following September, but I didn't know that. They lied mm. to me. They told me yeah. that I had that I'd lost an appeal, and I'm 500 miles away without eye contact. I can pretty usually detect a liar uh, as long as I'm looking him in the face. But this was all phone and email, and I was, you know, really disappointed. But they told me, oh well, that's okay, Eric. You happen to have a couple of really clever attorneys. We've got a way to refile it in New York State Court as a state case. But the bad news is, it's only against the contracting laboratory crawl. The probation people are out. 
you won't get to prosecute them. <laughs> and that was... Yeah, that I mean, that, that sounds that's convenient that's for, the for the probation officer. Yeah, I mean, it's like, do you want a full-size shit burger or do you want a shit slider? <laughs> which which one do you want to take a bite from was basically the deal I was being. But what was I to do? I mean, it was the choice right. between the cold case and no case. And legally, they had to get my consent to file and proceed. And, of course, I said yes. And then I started investigating what they were doing. I drove down to Rockland County. I went to Orange County. I called and requested court documents from the state case because the way they were portraying it to me over the phone didn't match up with what should have been happening. And I got transcripts from the Orange County Supreme Court in my civil trial in New York State Court against the lab. And what I found out was these guys were trying to leverage me and my strong evidence in order to get paid in another case they had in Rockland County that had been filed a full, like, I don't know, year and a half before they even met me. Wow. And it was a loser. It was, it was the same kind of drug test kit, the oral fluid device the, known as the Orisher Intercept. That was the only thing in common between Landon and this other case known as Braverman in Rockland County. And they spent eight years working that case, you know, losing motions and appeals and refiling, and ultimately they walked away with nothing. They tried to leverage me to make that case sound like it was as threatening to the defendant as Landon was just one county over in Orange. And when I realized that, I confronted them. They, you know, cap danced and lied, and... uh and then they criticized me for uh, contacting the court directly, going around them and requesting transcripts in my case that I could see in my eyes. Because our original retainer agreement, it was understood that Eric Landon would be copied on any and every document, every filing, every email, everything I would see. And they agreed mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. And I found out that wasn't happening. I had so cause to worry. Did you end up dropping them? Well, they threatened to quit. It, again, it was just like firing the defense attorney. If I had done that in the normal way, it would have added six months to my probation sentence while the machinations of a legal process of firing counsel, because it's all getting on the docket and waiting. So anyway, they had sent me an email, said, Eric, you've got to stop talking to the court. It makes you, Eric, look bad. You're damaging your, Eric, credibility. And I'm like, how does it damage my credibility to request copies of documents? It, that doesn't add up. They said, mm -hmm. if you keep, you know, if you can't let us do our job, we'll have to withdraw as counsel. Now, at that point, I had four and a half years of communications with them by telephone, voicemail, email, and never did 24 hours pass for me to return an email or return a call when they had contacted me. They sent mm -hmm. me this email, said, you know, we'll have to withdraw. For eight days, I went radio silent. And I'm thinking about, while well, I'm calling other attorneys, I'm trying to get consults, I'm like, what would this entail for me to, to get out of this? And there were concerns over time, over a lien being put on my case by the old attorneys for whoever became my new attorneys, and I'd be obligated to pay them a portion of whatever settlement or damages and a verdict and yada, yada, yada. So... After uh, after those eight days, they emailed me, hey, Eric, we've thought it through, and uh, because your case involves a serious area of potentially creating new law, we've decided we're going to stick it out. And I replied, you know what, guys, it sounds like your heart's just not in it anymore, so you can go ahead and resign. 
So I didn't have to fire them. I mean, in effect, that's what I was looking to do strategically. But, you know, I'm doing everything from 500 miles away on a shoestring budget. Right. So I, I wasn't in a position to hire a new counsel to fire my old counsel and pay them a retainer and all, you know, that that would entail. Yeah. So I just let them resign out. And then I called every serious plaintiff's firm between, you know, the battery tip of Manhattan and Saratoga Springs. And nobody wanted me because my case didn't – I mean, it was a slam dunk winner at trial. The evidence was irrefutable. But the problem was my injury didn't involve any broken bones or torn flesh. There was no ambulance involved. They don't see the value in a case. That's why so many people in those kind of circumstances, if you can't show big money at the point of saying, hello, new attorney, then you don't get an attorney. That's how it works. So I ended up representing myself by default. I didn't want to do this. You know, I called, I literally spoke to more than 200 law firms over 14 months between uh, January of 2012 and middle of 2013. And I realized that I'm going to have to do this. The appellate date in the state capitol is coming up in September, and um, I better start learning how to do this myself because it's looking like it's going to have to be me. So the appellate date is set. September 3rd, 2013, I drove from Erie to Albany and went and stepped in front of the seven justices and did my 15-minute speech on a recorded timer. You're standing there at the podium in the courtroom, and it's literally got a red, yellow, and green light on it. And when your time is up, the mic cuts off. So lucky for me, a couple of those justices... Um, one who recently is uh, deceased, a woman named Abdu Salam, she had a fantastic questions uh, kind of peering into the underlying issues. And it's up to the judges, as it is in any court, you know, you're making your presentation, but if they want to stop you and ask, hey, hold on a second, I don't quite follow, explain this to me. These judges did that with me a few times. And... I was worried I was, you know, burning my time and not going to get the opportunity to present all the information I had intended to. Well, what they did was really cut to the heart of the matter. These judges were able to understand, yes, a third-party actor, a laboratory, contracting with a state agency, probation, was able to violate basically everything they were obligated to, legally, contractually, morally, advertising, and otherwise. I mean, they even, their own website said every specimen gets confirmation by gas chromatography. No ifs, ands, or buts. Every specimen. So, you know, they never did a confirmation online, and yet it was used to try and put me in prison to commit suicide. There's so, no way in hell I was going to prison. So they decide to hear it. And how do we get six years later when they finally, is that when they finally had a verdict, or was there more court hearings in between? Once you, uh, earn your right to go back to trial court by winning that appeal in the state capitol, we get kicked back down to the trial court in Orange County and thus begins the pretrial process. Motion, witness list, discovery, all this stuff. And at every turn that was possible, Cole's attorneys were doing what they could to stall, delay, oh, yeah. pump the brakes. You know, wow. this guy, they know that, that they're, they're dead in the water as soon as this gets in front of a jury. They know that. And they were good lawyers, and they were actually good guys. Uh, it needs to be said. They, these defense lawyers that worked for Kroll, it was a law firm 
called Anderson and Oaks out of Manhattan. And one of the partners, Mitchell Oaks, and usually one of his associate attorneys, I had to deal with them. People don't know that the majority of what happens in a lawsuit goes on outside of the courtroom in communications between plaintiff's attorney and defense attorney. And I was the plaintiff and the plaintiff's attorney, and that's usually a nightmare. You know, the old, uh, you know, idiom about, you know, a guy who represents himself as a fool for a client, yada, yada. Um, so there's an expectation that I'm going to be ignorant, I'm going to be emotional, all of this stuff. So I decided I'm going to practice a form of discipline where nobody's going to be able to criticize my work and committed to that. And as a result, I got cooperation from Mitchell Oaks and his firm. They shared documents in a timely fashion. They were uh, clearly communicated. They were respectful of what I was trying to accomplish, but they had a job to do. So um, the civil suit experience, I cannot uh, – I cannot – I don't want to say celebrate, but I cannot urge enough people to, if you think you have a case, do it. Go file it. There is mm -hmm. no place left in America. No voting booth, no protest crowd, no website or tweet. There is I no place yeah. where pound for pound, dollar for dollar, if you want to exercise your rights of American, if you've got a case and you've got evidence, you can go into a court of law and you can present that. Does it take time? Does it, you know, cost money? Is there opportunity cost, you know, while you're teaching yourself how to be a lawyer? Absolutely. But if it's something that's important to you or maybe others, to society, do it. It's worth your effort. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, like, that's why the last five years I've pretty much just, I've been, well, I mean, I have my job, my main job on the side, but, you know, I'm trying to build this website, HealingLaw.com, and really try and get that point across to people in a meaningful way. Well, I'd, like to see, I'd like to see people contribute with similar experiences because there's a lot of um, kind of lore out there uh, and yeah. a lot of, uh, you know, joking and, and, you know, criticism about people who represent themselves. Um, some of our most important cases, you go back and you look at, like, Miranda in 1968, um, you know, the rights that we have, and I don't think I'm telling anybody the news by saying we're living in times where Americans are getting increasingly comfortable with a form of fascism that erodes individual liberties in favor of granting more bully power to certainly the executive branch and definitely cops and anyone who is, you know, I hold everybody under the cop umbrella, probation officer, parole, anyone who's a peace officer who has a badge and a gun and can change your life in the blink of an eye, those people need to be held to account every time, mm -hmm. all the time. So I was testing the testers that I was doing my blood test for four and a half years. You know, my defense attorney back in the criminal case when the judge asked him on the arraignment date, the first court appearance of the accusation of the drug test, uh, uh, Mr. Brady, why is it that your client even has his own test? And the guy says, well, Your Honor, he was at the end of the sentence. He thought he figured he'd protect himself. No, no, dummy. I gave you a stack of four and a half years worth of blood tests. What he said <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like a guilty guy who, who's pulling off a clever trick. You know, no, as opposed no. to somebody who had been diligently testing the testers for years. Yeah, it was just bad. So 
let's get to the point. Then we can we can talk free freely. But I want to I want to finish your uh, story on how you got this case law, in uh, the in the obviously the money in your favor. <laughs> that's yeah. That's that's the easier part. Um. So I went to the court of appeals in Albany. Went back down to the trial court. Fielded every ground ball and top fly that those lawyers hit at me. Motion to dismiss on lack of legal standing, motion to dismiss on lack of damages. He can't show that he was actually harmed. You know, motion to dismiss the class action. It was a class action, and I, that's the only motion I lost. I never lost any of the appeals or any of the motions, but for the class action, because I don't have a law license. I'm, I don't even have a right. bachelor's degree. So, um, yeah, so I had to give it up, because legally I can't represent others. Everyone, you all have the right to represent yourself. You do, but you cannot represent anyone else without a law license. So then we finally got, because I stayed in. You know, they were banking on, well, this guy, you know, he's got a drug history. Maybe he'll die. Uh, maybe he'll get a car accident. Maybe he'll lose his mind, you know. But we just keep stall, 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 and this case will go away. The, the company, Kroll, had been sold two times. During, you know, during the course of the lawsuit, I was, when I was at trial a couple of years ago, the owner that came with the defense attorneys to court, he wanted to observe this case. Um, you know, he, he was new to this. And uh, I think the attorneys knew the case certainly better than the company did, but the company, you know, they didn't want their brand name to you know, be caught up in a loser of a lawsuit, certainly against an upstart, nobody, uneducated, white trash, junkie convict on probation. He's not so, going to be this in court. At which point, so, so bring us to the, like, just finish finish off that story for us. How do we get to the $535,000 judgment? Well, we go to the trial, we put forth the evidence, you know, my case was on for four days, presenting witnesses and evidence. Yeah, this we picked the jury on April 29th and started opening statements that afternoon. The case ran through May 6th, whereupon the jury rendered a unanimous verdict. All six jurors voted for me, and it's up to them to come up with a figure. They were not given any figure by me. Um, mm -hmm. And they, they did some calculations about lost work and some other things, and they came up with 535000 which... I'm quoting in a newspaper many years ago when the trial judge was first dealing with me, Eric Landis. She's like, oh, no, I got a non-lawyer representing himself in my court. So she's trying to suss me out. She's like, well, what do you want, Mr. Landon? Uh, what do you want out of this? And, I, you know, I said, well, I want justice. And she said, but how much? I'm like, Ron, I, I really don't know. I'm, I want a trial transcript. Like, this isn't mm -hmm. about the money. I want to put these people in the witness box because it's about high time that they answer some of my questions. I've right. answered all this for a lot of years. I need answers on the record from persons A, B, and C. That's all I'm looking for. If the money is $1.50 for a cup of coffee, I'll call that a win. So, <laughs> and so I mean, she was like, okay. So it eventually took you 17 years. No, 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 it took 12. Well, well, 12. from the point. Yeah, from the, you, yeah, yeah if you can't, yeah. I mean, I would have never been doing the blood testing that saved my life, quite literally, in 2007, had I not had the first false positive allegation in 2003. I just wouldn't have laid down 
the kind of bricks of my fortress around my body had that not happened first. But wow. And I told them. I, you know, I was outspoken with four or five of my probation officers that any time they tested me, next time I saw them a month later, I'd be like, How, how'd your test come out? Mine came out fine. You know, I'm doing my own testing, right? And I think that's part of what created the fervor to go at me in the end. Because they, you know, um, they saw me as somebody who was, uh, you know, I'm supposed to answer questions, not ask. Right. I'm supposed to do as I'm told, not, you know, ever deviate. And so they figured, you know, this guy, he needs to be put in his place. You wanted to give us like a, a rundown of how people can prevent, well, prevent yeah, this. Yeah. Anybody, so give us a five-minute rundown on that. Yeah, yeah. Anybody hearing this who is themselves in some sort of drug testing situation, it does not have to be probation. It could be drug court could be parole, could be a family custody court issue, could be employment, could be extracurricular athletics. You could be a fantastic kid with great grades and maybe about to set the state championship record for pole vaulting, but you get a bad test and you don't get to compete. Drug testing has become ubiquitous in our culture. And much like background and credit checking, there's a lot of errors in there. So you have to, only you can protect yourself. There's a cost interest in doing these things like drug testing on the cheap and the cheaper it is is directly proportional to the quality of result that you get scientifically which means it likely is not usable as evidence in a court of law against you so if you're getting tested and you have any worries about what you might lose should a positive test ever come up and bear in mind you got to be innocent because if you're actually if you go get your own test and you're for real positive, well, your test is going to show that too. So this is for people who are getting screwed around in sloppy testing, slap happy cops, looking to, hey, we got one, you know, we got a lab report, he's guilty. There's a lot of that. And everyone who says it's a false positive gets the same, it's not even skepticism, it's mockery in the courts. They don't even, they're not open to the possibility that a false positive ever happens. And here we are with COVID over the last few years. People are, you know, there's a, there's, people are talking about testing, scientific, you know, diagnostic laboratory, biological testing. And, you know, when the discussion began about false negative, false positive, I was very excited because America needs to learn about this. It doesn't have to be a drug test. You have to understand that there's a way to do something like a scientific test and then there's a bunch of other ways to do it wrong. Is there anywhere um, yeah. people, I mean, if, if do you want people to reach out to well, you? or? Yeah, I'm real, I mean, I'm not a social media guy. I got a Facebook page. I'm actually in Facebook jail right now because I made a <laughs> remark in support of the women of Texas. Um, and I may have pointed out some of the hypocrisies of the Catholic Church in that. And apparently that makes me a bigot, so I'm in Facebook jail. Um, but to reach me... You know, email is it. I, I certainly wouldn't want to put my phone number out there, but uh, I've had mm -hmm. the same email for about 23 years now. It is eclectic underscore eel at yahoo.com. That is the English word eclectic, as in having a wide and varying area of interest, like rocks and jazz or uh, tapas and tacos, eclectic underscore 
E-E-L, my initials, at Yahoo. Um, I've done this for 15 years now, Doug. I've, anytime there's a case uh, or something in the news or a friend comes to me, hey, Eric, I saw this thing in the news, I look at it. If there's any parallels or if I have any knowledge accrued in the work I've done, I reach out to the plaintiff's attorney. I say, listen, I'm a guy. I've accumulated a lot of information in the years of doing this, and I might be able to help you get one across the finish line. I'm available mm -hmm. if you need me. I'm currently working on another case against Quest Labs. Just got in touch with those people within the last couple of weeks. It's wow. a case that relied on mine, Landon V. Kroll, as a foundation of law with which to file a case. Previous to me, there was no opportunity for any citizen to sue a drug testing lab that botched and reported a false uh, result on them because you don't deal directly with the lab as the specimen donor. Somebody is the intermediary, your employer, your school, your probation officer. So there was a firewall for legal liability that's been there since the beginning of the United States and New York State. And well, that court opened that door. If you're interested, uh, we you can come back on and we can talk about that. Surely. Uh, sure. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of angles to this, but I want people to know you have to protect yourself and you have to begin it yesterday. Don't wait until you're accused of a positive to call a doctor and say, hey, how would I get my own test? It's too late because time is going to yeah. pass and, and the window is going to be, well, you didn't get your test for three days and by that time the drugs were all out of your system. you got to be ready to get it on a moment's notice to save your own life. Thank you for taking the time to speak with our audience today, man. You got it. Happy to help. I hope it reaches. All right, all right. That wraps up part two of the Eric Landon story. Uh, last week, Eric pointed out to me that I made a mistake. I called what is a verdict, a settlement, the $535,000 verdict he received in his favor. A settlement is where you agree with an attorney or the two parties agree pre-trial to reach a settlement. What Eric got was a verdict, which means he actually went through, got a jury trial, and the jury awarded him $535,000 as a verdict. And that's a verdict, not a settlement. Um, I just had to make that correction. And if you guys are interested in learning more about how you can represent yourself in court, you can go to winincourt.org. That's winincourt.org. And it's the best course there is. It's like 250 bucks. It's the best course that there is to help you represent yourself in court. I've taken it. I found it very useful. I've gotten many, many tickets dismissed by what I learned in that course. Um, anyways, and if you feel like reaching out to Eric, that is eclectic underscore eel at yahoo.com. Until next week, this is Podcast Les Renaissance.